Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Rich Fay and I'm delighted to be joined the 150th episode I must add. Samuel Luckhurst, you were there at the beginning. Well, was I? <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Uh, yeah, producer Ash did some uh, research beforehand and he says it was you and a certain James Robson from America for the first oh, episode wow. all those years ago. Wow. Crikey. So uh, the tw- four years ago, was that? No, no, that oh. was that was China. That was China. Don't remind me of that. Uh, it would have to have been the States. Uh, it would have been 2018 or 2017, but I'm struggling to remember doing one. No, we did do one in 2017 in Houston. So it would have to have been that. So three year anniversary. Wow. What a well, so it was a bumper extended podcast for those listening. And if you've been there since the start, thank you very much as well. And uh, Don Booth. One of the newer additions to the squad. Yeah, it feels like I've done 150 episodes. It does weigh you down, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I'm sure I'll let the listeners judge on that one. Uh, you both well? Very good, thank you. Very well, thank you. Very well. Yourself, Rich? Always. Always a pleasure as well when I'm speaking to you too. But uh, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about how bad maybe United summer's been. Another bit of unwanted news to get out of the way early on. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, the 8th of September. Today, Mason Greenwood issued his apology after breaking COVID-19 protocol away on England duty. You'll all know enough about this already. Samuel, you wrote a piece today saying that he's already sort of making up for his mistakes, but it's not what United needed and more bad PR, particularly for them ahead of the new season. Yeah, it's it's a pretty terrible transgression on, on his part and, and Phil Foden's part. Um I mean, I've touched upon it with some younger players in the past and they they haven't transgressed to this extent at all. But when you're that young and you have that attention, you can start to feel bulletproof and amid the acclaim. And unfortunately for Greenwood, he has made this error um, within a week of inheriting the number 11 shirt at United and making his England debut. And that just fuels this theory this thinking among a lot of people in football and, and particularly among a lot of football supporters that players just have this unparalleled arrogance about them that they can get away with anything and I think I've said it before in a previous podcast there was a very very well-known um, young English footballer who had a house party at high lockdown and got all his guests to, to leave their phones outside so there'd be no evidence and amazingly uh, there has been no trace of this this house party that happened, but and and we'll also never know how many guests actually tested positive for for COVID nineteen, which again is another uh, it's just another unwanted subplot to it all because you know, the, the the rates are are going up again worryingly, and in a lot of countries they've put that down to to the arrogance of youth and and young people just flouting the rules and, and ignoring it. Um, it's it is that in, in itself it's becoming a bit of a pandemic how a lot of young people are behaving and how um, a lot of people are just very ignorant of it and you've also got just these conspiracy theorists which are just I mean those people are just crackers for, um, to, for lack of a better word so it goes on and on and on and when when players are behaving like this um, it, it really just does not help matters and already he's, t- he's deactivated his Twitter account which is exactly something he should do um, in, in, it's, it's a good move I think just a PR move but I think it is something that his advisors he, I mean his father is his agent it's something that he needs to do and you can't police young people how they go about um, 
their use of social media. It, you can't just say don't use social media because it's far too draconian. You have got to be, you know, you've got to just try and manage that balance. And with Greenwood, he was on TikTok last week, which I'm sure United fans of a certain generation will find appalling. But again, it's it's a modern young trend. It's popular. Millions are using it. They're using it. He's fair enough. He's yeah. He's free to use it, and as long as he uses it sensibly and it doesn't compromise his um, his, his professionalism, then then it's fine. But I do think that, however well United have handled this, um, I still think there is room at the club just to hire a social media figure to be on on the watch out, uh, to be on the lookout for players, how they conduct themselves on social media. And just to kind of educate them um, as to the pitfalls of it. With Greenwood, I'm sure we've all seen the videos of these two girls in Iceland because it's been shared on WhatsApp, it's gone viral. And in one of the videos, a girl is talking on the phone and you you don't see them, but you can hear on this line that she's talking um, to male voices. Uh, if you, I'm not, I'm not saying he should have done it anyway, because he shouldn't. What he did was absolutely wrong. But this young player who had the house party went about it in a very tactful way and they've got away with it. Greenwood's put himself in a position where he could very, very easily get exposed. He shouldn't put himself in that position anyway, but he's been exposed very, very quickly. And he's not the first United player to to have issues on social media. Certainly at the height, when Jesse Lingard had that bus video at West Ham, there were some infantile United reserve players periscoping at all hours, and some of the stuff you look, some of the um, the footage you saw of it uh, looked looked quite seedy, uh, frankly. And it doesn't seem as though anyone at the club was on top of that. And I still think the club need to educate players. Um, you look at the Harry Maguire um, incident recently. Anyone who had an Instagram account knew that Harry Maguire was in Mykonos because his sister was charting a supposedly private family holiday. If you want to keep it private, you all go on private Instagram accounts and you don't flaunt it and you don't certainly mix with a Z-lister from Love Island either. If you do that, then it's going to be plastered all over the shop and unfortunately something could go all right and it did go all right and you hear the stories around the Maguire thing. And it just takes one um, undesirable to see what's where he is or what's going on to try and to try and uh, make the most of it. Uh, so it, it doesn't just apply to a teenager like Greenwood. Maguire is, what, nine years older than him. It applies to players across the whole board at United. They could all do with educating. Uh, but unfortunately, the club's most recent social media uh, recruit was someone who um, set up a BBC Sport parody account eight years ago you love to see it don't you oh well the good news <laughs> continues doesn't it uh dom i guess it was young footballer and stupidity shocker these things happen it's you know i mean i know it's not what united need it's not what mason Greenwood needs and it's not the example he would be wanting to set after having such a good breakthrough season but i guess the focus now for him is he's got to make these apologies he's got to as someone said take the action of suspending and muting his twitter account for now but then Premier League starts next week. Mason Greenwood, there's going to be all eyes on him now and more focus on him and maybe more pressure for him as well going into the new season. Yeah, he was riding such a high, wasn't he? Having been given the the number 11 shirt by United, which was a, a big thing, I thought, to to reward a player. It completely deserved, of course, but you know, a player had only had one full season uh, and only really half of that he really spent in the first team. So 
he was riding a massive high. I think it, it will be a shame for him looking back to to have sullied his his England call up with a uh, an incident like this. You know, you want to remember your, your first England call up really fondly, and uh, he, he and Foden will not do so now looking back. It, it, you're right, though. I think it's something that United and and Greenwood can hopefully move on from quite quickly. Uh, and he has shown that he's quite a, a, a composed head uh, before this incident. He hasn't really tran- transgressed in any other way. So you would hope that him and United can move on. Like you say, said at the top of the podcast, it's just been almost disaster after disaster for United in, in this summer so far. We have players testing positive for COVID-19, like Pogba. Aaron Wambasaka has been in quarantine after coming back from a holiday in Dubai. Obviously, the Maguire incident. Only really the the Van der Beek signing is the the glimmer of hope and and that hope that there'll be more signings to come. But yeah, it's, it's United probably want the season to start as quickly as they can now, so they can actually focus on football. Yeah, exactly. And I'd be keen to get the uh, football back on the agenda as the main focus point. But while we're on transfers, there it's the thing that people only really care about this time of year. Samuel, we've been writing lines all week. We're coming to be blogs, gossips, everything's in overdrive still. There's still just now less than a month left of the summer transfer window. As Dom said there, Donny van der Beek, the only signing so far for United. Do you want to give us a quick roundup of maybe where we stand United now, early September? They wanted to get business done early this summer. They didn't. It'll be a very quick roundup. Unfortunately, uh, I don't. I don't think it will be quick in terms of trying to give as much context as possible. Um, I mean, I did a, a story yesterday um, that that they're working on up to three signings. Personally, it, I think if they make three more signings in this transfer window, I'll say it now. If they make three more signings in this transfer window, I'll go on one of those fan TV shows. I, I, I'm 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 prepared to drop my malls that much. Because Will you start really, TikTok? Uh, well, no, 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 no. I, I'd, I'd, I'd maybe sign up to TikTok to see to see what goes okay. on there. Um, that that would be the compromise. Uh, obviously, right wing is a priority still. Uh, as you know, they're still trying to find a breakthrough with Sancho, which means either they're confident that Dortmund or the, the agents will yield at some point, or they're just keeping up keeping up for appearances' sake to say, look, we tried, we we tried to get this player in, um, but it has got to the point now where, unless they do truly think they they can sign him, I, for my own personal opinion, they they should walk away and just look to. Um, try and get a stopgap in, which is something they've looked at uh, to the point that even Ivan Perisic was was floated as an idea, but it looks like that he's going to join Bayern Munich permanently, and they, they've not really given that any great um, serious consideration. And Douglas Cost alone has been mentioned as well. David Brooks is a name that's been mentioned, but I wouldn't really see him as an alternative um to Sancho I'd see him as someone to come in along with Sancho but as as it stands as Dom wrote this morning Leicester interest for him interest in him and I think he'd be a really good signing for Leicester as well he, he seems to fit that Leicester mould of investing in quality young players who aren't necessarily in the Premier League as they did with James Madison when they signed him from Norwich uh, they are looking at a left back Sergio Reguilón is obviously flavour of the month at the moment having just gone into the Spain squad and done very well with the Europa League uh, the other player uh, that I wrote about is a left back for Dynamo Kiev Vitali Michalenko who United have been tracking and like um, they, they watch him for some time centre back is something they are open to doing business on but again I think the chance of that 
happening this summer just completely remote because they've got three centre-backs they want to sell and I think there is every chance those three centre-backs will still be at the club next month the three defenders being Smalling, Jones and Rojo of course. Um, A backup striker is, is something that is of interest as well and has been of interest for, for some time. Obviously, Igalo is stopgap. He goes back to China in an, in the new year. So they certainly need to be on, a, on the lookout for a striker signing. And they have been on the lookout for a striker signing. Um, Moussa Dembele, as you've written about, Rich, is, is someone who's been of interest to United in the past. He's someone who is certainly open or wouldn't refuse to rule out a move away from Lyon. But as I was speaking to Dom earlier, I think with the transfer market, the way it is going, if it is to take off at all, um, I can only see it really taking off in the last week where players, uh, clubs, agents start to get desperate and try to make things happen. With Regillon, um an official from United uh, sent me a screenshot of one of those fan t- TV uh, channels, like the, um, the thumbnail on, on YouTube. And it said United closing in on Reguillon or United moving in on Reguillon. It was one of the two, which, of course, wasn't the case and wasn't what I wrote last week as well. But the loudest voices on Twitter are not the same as do not have the same as mine. And that is especially prevalent when a transfer window is open. And it doesn't just apply to United, it applies to all clubs. Uh, Jonathan Northcroft wrote in the Sunday Times the other week about Liverpool fans trying to get FSG out trending, which I I was just staggered by when you consider the success they've had um, in the last two or three years. So, as I said, it's not just club specific, but United fans so-called fans anyway, because it's it's really harsh to tar a certain section of the support base with another section of the support base as well. Um, but some of them are just, they just live for transfers and they have become the angriest lot on Twitter as well. Um, well, there are some I, fans, aren't there, Samuel, who almost, they, they only live for the transfers, they don't really, the football secondary yeah. for them. Yeah, they, they, they support players over, um, over clubs, uh, you know, Paul Pogba is, is is an example of a player who has uh, a specific following in the football fans, people who like football, support Paul Pogba rather than United. So if he's to go to Real Madrid next year, though, you know, they, they might start on following United on Twitter and they'll move on to Real Madrid because Pogba is the player they follow. But I don't, I was trying to put, I was trying to think about this as well before I, you know, be, became a journalist and it was my professional my um, profession and you are a fan and you are on Twitter and you're wondering who United is trying to sign or who your club's trying to sign I thought okay you know I've, I've tweeted some very very juvenile things in the past but I was never this bad I really wasn't this bad and I don't think any of us were this bad it, it has gone to insane levels this insatiable appetite for transfers and the thing is a lot of outlets really don't help themselves because they will cherry pick these names and they're completely, they're either oblivious or they're just too dense to realise that last year United invested £130 million in the defence. So the chances are this summer in a market where they've already spent the best part of £40 million on one player and they are prepared to spend up to £108 million or invest £108 million on another player, and the fact that they have never broken 150 million pounds uh, for spending in a single summer window, they are not going to go out and sign two top-level defenders, one being a left back and one being a centre back, 
And unfortunately, you try and give as much context as possible on this, on podcasts, in stories, in features, in pieces. We've all done it. We all do it faithfully. But the message just never seems to get across. And I'm not saying it in defence of United. I'm just being realistic. When it comes to transfers, United cannot afford all these players. They just can't, especially in a post-pandemic window. It just does not work out that way. And the sooner you know, Twitter actually accepts that, the better it will be for all of us. I was watching on the Amazon Tottenham documentary, Steve Hitchin, the head of recruitment. Um, it, it's filmed, there's an episode centred around the January transfer window. And he's he's asked about it and he just he, he says it's opportunistic it's this that and the other and what he said was pretty much verbatim what someone high up at united told me uh, a few years ago about the january transfer window and i think he the interview with him ends with him just saying i hate it regarding the transfer window and i think all of us can get behind that yeah i think lots of club officials they, they hate transfer window time there's so much stuff they've got to shoot down so much stuff they feel they don't even have the need to shoot down because it's so ridiculous anyway but uh, yeah it gets incessant and i guess the uh, video game tiktok generation where you can go on fifa and buy whoever you want for whatever and put a player up and he sells immediately doesn't really help with that but don when we're on the subject of transfers uh samuel's touched upon it there and you know of course we have to say in every piece of our sancho remains the priority because he does he's the player who ticks all the boxes but then you go down to maybe that next list of where you know it could strengthen a summer you look at center back you look at left back and you look at striker if United could hypothetically get Sancho and then one more position, what are you saying right now? Are you saying United need a centre-back, a left-back or a striker as well as a right-winger before the season starts? That is a very good question. Can I um, do a, a real sitting-on-the-fence job and say I think they need yeah. someone to cover left-back and centre-back? Yeah, that's fine. It because constitutes I, I, I as do, it, doesn't I it? Do think United... Tyler Blackett, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, I think United, that was a Louis van Gaal thing, wasn't it? Having left-sided left centre-backs and all that. Um, I guess Marcus Rojo is like like a new signing. And I, I saw that emerge yesterday that Rojo has been impressing in training and, and could be like a new signing in the coming season. I'd be very, very cautious to, to say that with any sort of confidence, uh, given his record in the, in the past few years in and out of the United side. I do think United need squad depth and they need players who can... You know, they might sit on the bench, they might not be in the first choice team. But realistically, that team's going to change significantly over the course of a season. With Champions League football, with cup competitions, uh, we don't know exactly how um, all the fixture lists are going to look like, given the, the late start to the season. And one of the, when one of these names crops up on, on social media as a, a genuine transfer link, such as uh, David Brooks, who it's never been said is a direct replacement for Sancho as a target. Sancho is still a target. Brooks is just someone else that they're looking at. But then the fan base go mad saying David Brooks isn't good enough. He's not going to get into the team. You know, they might say the same on, on Sergio Reguilon, although I think maybe they think he's he's better than Luke Shaw or Brandon Williams. But e- either way, both those players would improve United's squad and improve their options. And it's not necessarily about going after huge marquee names. And I think that's why we've seen what we've seen with the Sancho situation with millions of tweets. People just saying, announce Sancho. People want the best. They want completely elite stars to to come in. And and like Samuel says, it's not always feasible given the prices that they they cost. So 
I think uh, you know a couple of uh, squad additions would be really useful for United. Like like Donny Van Der Beek is he's just an ex- excellent um, you know squad addition who may well get into the first team. More more of the same, I think, like that. Yeah, exactly. You've seen in the past what happens when United do go for the marquee names who are top of the market. It doesn't usually end well in that aspect. Uh, we'll wait and see what happens in, in regards to that. But Sammy, would you say it's the same for United that they've got to reinforce their attack more than their defence? I mean, maybe the caveat with the defence is that with Dean Henson back at the club, he's more vocal, more commanding. He might actually bring more structure to the United defence anyway. And, you know, we, we, we saw you see, when, when a team's playing well and the confidence is high, the defence can sometimes just take care of itself. We saw United last season have the quirk of both a really bad defence and then a really good defence that kept nine clean sheets in 11. So do you think maybe it's a bit reactionary that United's poor into the seasons, put so much pressure on the centre-back situation again? Uh, I think there's an element of that. I mean, the, the point about Henderson is is an interesting one. And Jamie Carragher has said about it again in the Sunday Times that sometimes it just takes one player to make a difference, which was the case with Fernandez. I, th- I think with Henderson, my gut instinct would be that De Gea will probably start the season ahead of him still. I could be w- wrong on that, but it's it's going to be a pretty fascinating dynamic to see how that how that plays out across the season. But objectively, they, they do need a new centre-half because there's an awful lot of room for improvement there. Lindelof regressed last season. I still don't think Maguire had a particularly stellar season. The backup is flimsy because a lot of those players Jones, Rojo, Tunzibi by they're synonymous with, with injury. Uh, what, do, Sammy, what do you make of Smalling though in terms of that? Because he had has had such a rejuvenated season in Italy albeit I, with I, I Roma. Really do you think he does I, I, I really wouldn't see it as I really wouldn't see it as a problem if uh, Smalling was to, to stay at United as a squad player. Whether he would want that, he probably wouldn't want that given that he's just had an excellent season on loan, playing regularly for Roma. And if the pandemic hadn't uh, swept across Europe, he might well have been back in the England fold in in March as well, because Southgate went out to watch him. So that doesn't really suit what Smalling wants, even though it might suit what United want. And he's also the most sellable of those three centre-backs who... United would like to shift as well. So there are so many nuances that are at play here. And again, that was something, you know, watching that Tottenham documentary, it, it was quite reassuring in a way because the way Daniel Levy um, and Steve Hitchin talk about transfers is very similar to how we look at transfers and write about transfers and the, the information we're gathering as well. You, you always have to weigh up the nuances and how it could pan out. It, it's it's ever-changing. Nothing hardly anything is ever cut and dry. It's never black and white. So although although having keeping Smalling is good in essence, it probably isn't good for him. It's certainly not good having eight centre-backs on your books. And with, with Jones, Smalling and Rojo, obviously United shouldn't have just let, released all of them, given their ages, but they were all given contracts within an 18, sorry, a 12-month period. And if they hadn't been given those contracts, they could all have literally been released by now. They'd have all come to the end of their previous contracts. And you saw what Guardiola did in 2017 when it was, I think, Clichy, Sanya, and was it Zabaleta? Was it the last one? Those three were released. Uh, they got an offer for Kolarov and they sold him to Roma. So four fullbacks went, three fullbacks came in and it had a big 
it had a huge impact on the transfer market because the rate, the going rate for defenders went up considerably with the Mendy and Walker deals. And it also improved the way uh, Manchester City played and they went on to win the league that season. So you know, it can be done in terms of just get, having a mass clear out of players on your books that you want to want to see the back of. But it, those players will all come to the end of their contracts. United, in their infinite wisdom, gave contracts to Smalling, Jones and Rojo. And there's no way, certainly with Jones and Rojo, there's absolutely no way they should have got contracts at that time. With Smalling, it was much more understandable. He was playing regularly. He's, he, I still think he is a good defender. He's not a good footballer. There's merit to having him as a squad player. But United have put themselves in that position where they have a bloated department and that makes it very difficult to reinforce it. And also, again, just going back to it, they spent £80 million on a defender, a centre-back last year. Then it would be amazing if they spent half that amount on a centre-back this summer. Exactly. That's maybe the reality check they need. But it's not like United to mess up contract renewals, is it? Oh, well, we'll see what ones we've got to deal with next summer as well. Uh, while we're here, United obviously said the uh, season starts next week. Also, the under-23s get back underway as well a week after on the Monday, the 14th of September. September? Sorry, I got my mud- words muddled there. Uh, United back in the Premier League to Division 1. Dom, Sammy, we've both worked on the under-23s in the last few months as well. Uh, come to you first, Dom. United back in the first division. The side looks very inexperienced. It's one that's maybe suffering from the fact that the best players are going to go out on loan. But what do you make of United's next crop of youngsters coming through? And there's a lot of hype about them always. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. A big step up for them. It, you know, it would have been hard enough for them stepping into uh, the, the under-23s if they'd stayed in the, the second division. But obviously, they're going to be playing against... Man City's, Chelsea's, Tottenham's, Arsenal's uh, under-23s in the next season. I guess all eyes will be on Hannibal Medj- Medjbri, who's a um, very highly rated attacking midfielder who came from, from Monaco about a year or so ago. Like you said, it, it will be tough, I think, for Neil Wood, uh, the under-23s manager, to, to get a side together, actually, because of the amount of players who look like they're heading on loan. I know yeah. James Garner and Dylan Levitt haven't yet gone, but I think they, they're set to, and... Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really tough. I think Ted Ted and Mengi will be will be probably the, the captain of that side in the next season. If he, he doesn't go out on loan, he's a really, really promising defender. We obviously saw a little bit of him in the first team. It's just a case of uh of getting experience for those guys. The the coaches say that results don't matter too much, but I guess United will want to hold their own against a lot of their, their rival big teams in, in that top division of under twenty threes football. Yeah, Sam, we spoke about this yesterday ourselves, and I guess, you know, the, the, the quirk is that from the inside, you can understand why United will probably struggle next season because it's such an inexperienced squad. They've only got one fit striker at the moment, and he's 18 anyway. But the headlines would be United underperform at, at youth level, but maybe the wider context is, you know, it, it is just about maybe performances and a style of play rather than the end result for United next season. It is, but there's no way they want another relegation. That went down like a lead balloon a couple of years ago. Whatever the level United are playing at, relegation is a disaster. And it's also a national story. Uh, you, you told me uh, yesterday that Liverpool went, were relegated last season. That was the first I'd heard about it because there's just been such a wave of optimism around Liverpool that nobody cares about that. And frankly, the people covering Liverpool on a supposedly objective level 
don't write anything negative about them anyway. So it's it's kind of all well and good for them. Whereas it's it's a much more different dynamic uh, working on the Manchester pack and, and covering United as well, especially because of the way it's gone since Ferguson retired. And even when Ferguson was in place, uh, you know, you, you're always looking for juicy stories because it's in terms of journalistic coverage, United. United are the biggest club in the world. And when they did get relegated at reserve level a couple of years ago, it was a national story. And you had this strange um, scenario where um, someone from a newspaper wrote a, a cutting piece on how bad the players were. And then there was a counter piece a couple of two or three weeks later from another writer at the same newspaper. Um, but that group of players were poor. And, you know, Mourinho... Uh, threw them under the bus on the pre-season tour he said you know we've had to bring these youngsters and they were relegated last season and as blunt as he was he was also he was also correct uh charlie scott is is completely clubless now it looks unlikely he'll ever um play football at semi-professional or professional level again um the players from that setup that have got clubs are, are pretty fortunate to have done so by and large some of them i know obviously Devonte redmond's at wrexham you've got other players like matty willard gillingham like this this is the level that they belong at it is non-league or it is league one or it is league two and with the current crop we, we were trying to work it out at doncaster last week in terms of how they might look and one of the weird things is that you've got Nathan Bishop, who United signed in January. Now, unless he wants to be the youngest ever goalkeeping coach on record, he should be playing in the under-23s because it's a chance for him to actually play football of a certain level. And United need that experience. They, they're called the under-23s, but the only players in that squad who are in their 20s or near 20 um, seem to be the goalkeepers, which are um, Paul Wollstone and, and, and Bishop, who hasn't even participated, I think, for the under-23s yet. I think if, if Ethan Laird stays, you've got the right-back there, Reese Devine at left-back, Mengi at centre-back, because he isn't going to go out on loan. Uh, I was told that Will Fish is being promoted full-time, so he'd probably be his partner in front of them, maybe Mark Helm and Charlie McCann as the midfielders, and ahead of them, it's, it's probably going to be Hannibal Mejbri. He's played a lot of under-23 football already. And then, as you touched upon, Anthony Alanga is the only standout forward. But they have got a dearth of forwards. And as simple as it sounds, you need goals to win football games. And Ethan Galbraith can certainly chip in. And again, the word from United is that he's not going to go out on loan, which is a little bit of a surprise because there's every chance he could make the Northern Ireland squad for the Euros next year. So perhaps he'll go out on loan in, in January. But relegation is a very real possibility, unfortunately. Um, it's a thin squad. It's a callow squad. There are some raw players in that, like Max Hagar and Connor Stanley, who have been operated above their brief, are operating above their brief, really, because they just don't fit that profile, unfortunately, for them. So it is going to be a slog. And sometimes it's... look. With the academy level, it is cyclical. Last year, United had a really good year in terms of the players who were on the cusp of the first team squad, dropping down and helping out. The core group was good. The younger players were good as well, as you saw uh, by the amount of players who were rewarded with um, that trip to Astana in November. Unfortunately, this year, it's just a very, very callow group of players. And... Yeah, result obviously development has to come before results, but there's no way Neil Wood will want to get relegated. And from a 
just from a selfish perspective uh, on his part, he did very well last year with them. He does not want to be a manager who has taken a Manchester United team down because you saw with Ricky Spragia, he got sacked. And in fairness with Spragia, he, he should never have been reappointed and he was sacked um, a year a year too late as well. Yeah, it's got to be interesting to see. And like you said, there's got to be lots of intensity and the social media fans always love to see what's happening. But at least we've got a good loan watch for next season. That's maybe something we've missed in the last couple of years. Chongordi out, impressing at Vedder Bremen. Like we said, Levitt is poised to go to Charlton. James Garner going to leave as well. But Premier League is back. Have, have you started your fantasy football teams yet? I have, yes. But I don't, I don't anticipate any sort of success. No. No, Samuel, I, have you, have you I've, dived into it? I've, I, I used to, but I think the last couple of years I've just not bothered. It's one of those things I always forget to um, to sort out. But uh, I, I'm you just, always give it the big time. beans the first few weeks, don't you? And then when you yeah. realise by the first international break you're well out of the picture, you you sort of bow if, down if, and, and if, say if, you were never if, interested in the first place. If, if there's no prize money on offer, then the incentive is is, is non-existent. But uh, I've, I've had a couple of invites, so maybe I'll have to try and get round to sorting out a team. I think last season yeah. I actually won my first ever fantasy football prize money with a group of friends. So oh, you won prize money? Yeah, I won, my, I won my first league with my school friends as well. It was a sweet victory, but now, Dom, the pressure is wasn't on it, following it up. <laughs> wasn't it Wasn't it Aralas who was exceptionally good at it? Rich? Yeah, I, don't know I think he I think he plummeted in the end. I think our colleague Tyrone Marshall pipped him to the title in the, uh, I think, the Manchester Pack. Aralas Ulsada, who Norwegian fans will undoubtedly no um he i think he was i can't remember what number it was but he was something like the top 100 in the world or the top 200 in the world he was ridiculously high up at one point so if anyone wants fantasy football tips he he's the guy to pepper although he will take san josh king probably so you know swings and roundabouts that's what you get when you ask a norwegian for football advice as we saw from united in the january window but uh premier league back uh this weekend maybe a week in san united when they take on palace but as we go into this weekend dom how do you think united actually sort of square up to their opponents if you had to judge them now which teams would you say are better squads than united well i was going to touch on this point before with with Chelsea and I think some of the pressure that has come onto United, especially on social media from fans is a product of Chelsea's business in the transfer window. They've spent a, a huge, huge amount on, on pretty big stars. You can't really argue with any of the, any of their additions, you know, Kai Havertz, Ben Chilwell, Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech. They're excellent signings. Thiago Silva maybe is a question mark because of his age, but he's an experienced defender. And I think, United have to respond to that. I don't think they have to respond by signing as many players or spending as much money. I think they have to respond on the pitch. And there's every chance that it won't quite work out for Chelsea. We've seen in the past teams spend loads of money and, and re- reshape their entire eleven, and it hasn't worked out. Uh, but I think Chelsea will probably be the benchmark for United as, as they were last season. It doesn't look at the moment like Solskjaer is has been packed anywhere near as as much as Lampard and and can even compete with Lampard but I do think that the proof will be in the pudding and that if Chelsea you know lost a, a game or two early on in the season there'll be huge question marks over Lampard it puts the pressure on him uh, early on in the in the campaign so that's a roundabout way of saying that United have to have to finish ahead of Chelsea which is a pretty obvious thing to say I just don't see them closing the gap to to Liverpool and City as it stands 
even if what it's do you make of, What do you make of the other competitors, Dom, Tottenham, Arsenal? I mean, I hate to say it, but they love it every year, but Everton have probably bought better than United this summer as well. Have they? I'm not sure if James <laughs> Rodriguez, who hasn't performed... Decore, Decore is good. Years. Well, maybe, maybe. I remember that year when they signed Davy Clarkson and Wayne Rooney and Gilfie Sigurdsson and everyone thought they were going to get top four. I don't see Everton Finished about 16th or 17th, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't see that. I, I think Arsenal have done some shrewd business actually. Although there's been some, and they've, and they've played good football Arsenal as well since, since Arteta came in. Yeah, I kind of, like, I kind of like what Arteta has done there. I think that they, they show some real promise. Uh, I don't see Spurs making huge progress with their current setup and with Mourinho. I don't think, uh, I think they're still in a sort of period of transition really after Pochettino leaving and Harry Kane maybe a little bit unsettled as well. So. I do actually think the top four is there for the taking again for United, but it's not it's not enough for United just to keep churning out a top four finish and, and claiming that that's an acceptable season, I think, as we've said on this podcast before. So if they can in some way close that gap and, and, and leave Chelsea behind in fourth, I think that would be acceptable. Yeah, some of us said that you know, they need to be closer to the top two uh, next season. They need to at least have a go in the Champions League. You'd probably say, depending on the draw, they want to be getting to the quarterfinals at least, really. But uh, for yourself, do you think there's any fresh threats this season as well? I mean, maybe we give Tottenham the caveat that they started last season so badly. Leicester, you know, they, they were good under Rodgers, you know, they fell away since lockdown. Wolves have, have, have bought well again as as, as they tend to do, but United's pressure, as we always say, isn't just from the traditional top four anymore. No, I mean with with Spurs, it's the front four they have. It's very difficult for them to go out and transfer market and improve on it. That you've got Kane, Son, Ali, and and Bergvine or Bergvine or Mora. It's it's a really good front four. Defensively, I, I'm just not convinced by Spurs. I think Doherty is a really good signing, um, but He's, he's excelled as a wing back. So if they're going to go to a back three, I'd, I'd be very, very suspicious of their chances because I just don't think they've got the centre-backs to to get away with that. Um, Arsenal are on the up and up, but much hinges on Aubameyang and they keep on you know, stressing how confident they are. He'll sign a new contract, but he's still not signed it. That said, it, it doesn't look like he's going to go anywhere in the next four weeks either. So that's something at least. Um the pressure is on Chelsea because of how much they've spent and also on Lampard because he was deified for bringing all these kids uh, into the team last year, which, let's face it, he had no choice but to do that. And of course, the first sign that the window's open and he can sign players again, he has gone and spent money left, right and centre and it's a throwback to the first years under Abramovich. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever because that is Chelsea's identity. That's what you associate them with, um, particularly under Abramovich. But, you know, it, it, it does make me laugh. I mean, Lampard has his media cheerleaders, and I've not really seen many actually question his marginalising of all these young players who were given England caps far, far, far too prematurely. But with United, they certainly at the moment, they, they talk about, and Woodward has said it repeatedly, about the, the economic realities but there are the football realities and the football realities are at the moment they are it is a risk that they're taking because i don't think many would necessarily predict they'd finish in the top 4 next season i certainly think they've got if you look at their first team i'd say that is one of the four best teams in the premier league but it doesn't work out um 
it, it just doesn't work out that simple. And there is an issue with depth there. Solskjaer's aware of it. He said about it. Um, I, I don't really see, I think it's a big ask for Leicester to do what they did last year. To, to get as close to qualifying for the Champions League, even though losing Chilwell is a bit of damage limitation. Of, of all the players they could have lost, he, losing him, I think, is the most palatable, and they've got a lot of money for him as well. Uh, I, he's, he's a fine left-back, but I don't think he's... He doesn't blow your socks off, really. I think Chelsea have maybe overspent on him, but I suppose wan went for 50... Sorry, 45 million, rises to 50 million last year, and Chilwell is comfortably... A better attacking uh, fallback. So I, I still think the top six, I, I maybe take Leicester out and put Arsenal in it as it stands. But as we've spoken before, when it comes to like predicting how the table's going to look at the end of the season, <laughs> yeah, it's It's very, very early to do that now, uh, where the window's open for a few more weeks. And after the last season ended, I looked at what my predictions were, and I did predict United would finish in the top four, but I also predicted that Sheffield United would um, would finish bottom as well. So uh, mine were an embarrassment last season. Yeah, I'm not that, doing we, it. We, look, we we you know uh, we put if you put your head above the parapet, you're going to get shot every once in a while. But we're we're the ones that have to do that. Yeah, it's uh, a shame. my predictions are always down on online for everyone to see forever. That's yeah, the, uh, and that's and they can get. Change. Record when we want to, but keep an eye out on my social media. I'll do a full table by Friday night. Don't you worry about that. Uh, Dom, Sam, Dom Samuel, thank you very much for joining us on. There's a 150th episode, 150 not out for the Manchester Red podcast. Let's thank hope you. for another, I was going to say, because it's a century and a half more of a podcast to come. There'll be many, many more, and there'll be one again next week as we look ahead to United's beginning in the Premier League season. And who knows, maybe there'll be some more transfer news to bring you. But until then, stick with us on the Manchester Evening News for all the latest transfer news. Dom, Samuel, thanks once again. Thank you very much. And we will see you again next time. Please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already, and take care.